be the last session in dealing with Jehoshaphat and his fasting. Um, we have one more session after this relative to fasting, which I will do next week. And there afterwards, I'm going to finish up Passover principles, which we did four sessions of at the end of last year. Just about four, three sessions on Passover. And then for the rest of this year, I'm going to start a financial series. Um, I felt a long time to start. I'm also starting it because Apostle Tamo is starting this series at Gate Santon as well. I think today he starts it, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, until the rest of the year. I think it's something that God is stressing and something that God um, is it's, it's going to be for your economic breakthrough. Amen? I didn't want to trust you. It's going to be phenomenal, phenomenal series. But I, I have to be faithful to the Lord to first um, finish up things He has laid upon our hearts. Amen? Um, Fasting, in terms of Jehoshaphat's experience, is quite an interesting study, as you've surmised by now, as you've gathered by now. We've been talking about this for the past few weeks. You've discussed it in your house church meetings this week, Wednesday as well. And uh, I'm certain the Lord has spoken very things to you. But his life and ministry, Jehoshaphat's life and ministry, is interesting to study. It has many highs and lows, as I have said. He has many good points and negative points concerning his life and ministry. And I don't want to go into the details because we've covered that to some degree already in the past few sessions. Uh, I was um, saddened that we had not taped the prior session to this. When I said to you, I will just speak prophetically because the Lord really, really shared some powerful things there that we need to take to take note of. Amen? But I want to encourage you that when we fast unto the Lord, it must not be with the mindset that I need momentarily to be delivered or I need momentary deliverance. I need a quick fix to a quick answer to my plight, a quick answer to my need. Right? He fasted, yes he did, Jehoshaphat, effectively leading Judah into a fast in which God brought them victory against three specific enemies. And let me just say this before I continue. It's growing in my spirit how that these three enemies are posing such a significant onslaught against God's purposes globally. You might not fully understand what I'm talking about. But I deal with this on a daily basis. I deal with Moab, I deal with Ammon, and I deal with the spirit of, of Edom. Right? All designed to frustrate the purposes of God. Okay? A three-pronged enemy came up against him. And I told you, anything three is complete. The image or the symbolic meaning of the number three. Each number has got spiritual significance. You know that. Whenever you see something three, three always indicates that which is complete, that which is substantial, that which is solid. Uh, it's very often used in reference to things divine or in reference to God himself. God himself is Father, Son, Spirit. Three components. Okay? Three persons in one. You as a person are spirit, soul, and, and body. Not so? In the Old Testament, in Moses' tabernacle, you had the inner court or the, the, the holies of holies, 
the, the outer court. The outer court, sorry, the holy place and the holies of holies. Three distinct parts. When we sing, the Bible says we sing in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There are three unending virtues. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Now there abides faith, hope, and love. Right? And the greatest of these, obviously, is love. Jesus is prophet, priest, king. Not so. He's prophet, priest, king. Moses or Noah's ark had three levels. Anything divine usually has a three-strand um, characteristic to it. So the symbolic application of the number three is that which is solid, that which is substantial. Um, it almost has a divine component to it. Now when you read that three enemies came up against Jehoshaphat, what this guy is dealing with is something real, something solid, something substantial. Never before had he faced this kind of enemy before. So, and he feels helpless to deal with it. He says, surely they're going to rout us. They're going to defeat us. But he calls all Judah to fast. And they turn their attention to the Lord. And he makes this famous statement, we don't know what to do against this great multitude. He calls it a great multitude. He said, I'm helpless. Don't know what to do against, against this great multitude. But my eyes, our eyes are upon you. They seek the Lord by prayer and fasting. God through the prophet brought them great strategy in how to position themselves against this enemy. God simply said to them, don't fight this battle. This battle is the Lord. Station yourself. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And I spoke to what each of these components mean. Okay, you must consult the prior two, two sessions ago to understand the spiritual significance of stand. Or station yourself. Stand still, stand, and then see the sal see the salvation of the Lord. And then he makes this um, statement to the people before they position themselves. He says, Believe God and you will prosper. Believe God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will and you will prosper. And the last sitting, I said to you, why would he have the need to endorse the prophetic word? in the minds of the people. Why say to them, if we believe God, we will be established. If we believe His prophets, we will, will prosper. Because prior to that point, he has had experience with prophets. Where they said certain things to him, he did not believe them, and he suffered the consequence. Now based on his own personal failure to heed prophetic directives previously in his life, he now stands before Judah and he's saying, don't make the mistake that I did prior. You must believe God and you will be established. You must believe his prophets and you will, you will prosper. I said to you this, believing God establishes you. Believing the servant of the Lord makes you prosperous. People still haven't got it. Right? When I see disobedience, that tells me the principle has not um, been assimilated into your, into your life. Right? Um, it's very, very important. Because he did not heed Prophet Micaiah's words. Remember? He did not heed Prophet Micaiah's word when Prophet Micaiah said, uh, basically, if you go aligning yourself with King Ahab to attack Ramoth Gilead, if you go to this battle, 
there's certain death. Right? And remember, he inaccurately aligned himself to Ahab. Not so? He was king of Judah, which included Benjamin in the south. King Ahab was king of Israel in the, in the north. And he had allied himself with King Ahab by marriage. In other words, he gave his son Jehoram to marry Athaliah, which was Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. So he offered his kid in terms of marriage to secure political advantage because he felt insecure. And I say this to you, never, never, never enter into alliances based on your own insecurity to bolster up and preserve yourself in some respect. Right? And so he seeks political expediency and he does so by marriage affinity, offering his son to that king's daughter so that there's peace and a sense of camaraderie and alliance between these two empires. In the event of war, he knows, I have an ally in the north. My son married your daughter. We connected, we're strong. Right? But he does so, listen carefully, when that king, King Ahab, goes to battle against Ramoth Gilead, King Ahab is lured into the battle because now you are joined to me. So King Ahab's battle becomes King Jehoshaphat's war, a war that he should not have been involved in in the, in the first place. Sometimes when you join yourself inaccurately by relationship to someone, that person's battles become yours. Battles that should not have been God's program and God's determination for you. And I want to encourage every single one of us in this season, be careful of inaccurate alliances. Be careful of aligning yourself to someone either by friendship or by intimate relationship. Simply because you think in your mind, this relationship is going to stand me in good stead for some, in, some, in some respect. Right? It speaks to your own insecurity. And do you know how foolish that was? When the prophet said, after he first said, go to war, and he was, he, was, he was chided, only speak that which the Lord speaks. And he says, if you go to this war, I saw Israel scattered like sheep on the, on the mountains. Right? Each one to his own master. Right? If, you, if you do this, this is going to be the result. And what did King Ahab do? Right? After Zedekiah slapped Micaiah on the cheek, Ze- uh, Ahab imprisons Micaiah the prophet. I call it imprisoning the prophetic voice. You see, Ahab said he never prophesies good concerning me. Remember? Ahab said, when Jehoshaphat said to him, inquire, is there another prophet that we can inquire of of the Lord concerning this matter? Because he was not satisfied with the view of 400 false prophets of Israel under Ahab's command that said, it's fine, go to war. Jehoshaphat has the prophetic sense to realize, I need to inquire of a valid prophet of God. Micaiah is brought forth. Micaiah, Ahab says concerning him, he always prophesies negative concerning me. Right? So, you know, if your life is not right, you are going to view every good word of God negatively. You will think it's personal when it's not personal. Hey? Please, I speak to you by the Spirit. 
if your life is not right, and every time you hear a positive, good word from God, you interpret it as, hey, he's always talking like this to us. No. I am simply declaring the good word of the Lord to you. Adjust and bring your life in sync with the word of the Lord. Amen. Do you know what Paul said to the Galatians after they departed from the way of faith in Christ and slipped back into into Judaism? Remember he said to them, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And even to the Corinthians, when Paul corrected them, do you know what some of them took the stance of hardness against Paul? And you know what he said to them? He said, have I now become your enemy now that I speak to you the truth? That's amazing how people, if you perceive a word to be personally leveled against you based upon your error privately, you will always interpret the good word of the Lord negatively. Ahab knows he's wrong. He knows Micaiah is a good man, good prophet, but his view is you always prophesy negative concerning me. What more do you expect from a good prophet? He has to declare to you the word of the the word of the Lord. So what does Ahab do? I'll show you this. Please follow me. Very important lesson today. Ahab takes the prophetic word and he imprisons it. He said, I will hear you no more based upon the fact I don't gel with your principles. Don't gel with your teachings. I'm not at one with what you are saying. So I imprison you in my mind. This is what some people do to valid servants of God. When they don't like what they are saying. You can still sit in service after service, but in your mind you've taken the word and you've imprisoned the prophet. You can hear what he says, but you will never heed what he says. And that is very, very, very dangerous. Extremely dangerous. I want to encourage you. Tell your neighbor, set the prophet free. Set the prophet free. You know how foolish this was? King, King, King Ahab, when he asked King Jehoshaphat, I'm going to war with his other chaps, Ramoth Gilead. Okay, we're allied. We're in alliance. You gave your son, Jehoram, to marry my daughter. We connected. We bruise. Let's go and fight this war together. You know what King Jehoshaphat foolishly says? I am as you are. What a foolish thing to say. He says, I am as you are. It's tantamount to saying, you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I want to encourage you. Don't connect yourself to people that are not of the same DNA as you in the spirit. Right? Not of the same ilk. Not of the, don't stand for the same principles. In the season, inaccurate joinings is going to cancel the effectiveness of your fast. Listen carefully. You're dealing with fasting here. But I need to position fasting within a milieu or a context of accuracy. Right? You see, I'm not going to just fast. What's the point in Jehoshaphat? Yes, God gave you mighty deliverance from these, from Moab, Ammon, and Edom. This three-pronged, substantial enemy came against you. God gave you deliverance, and he would eventually. But your life is riddled by, this, by, by, by characteristics that tell me you do not wholly follow the Lord your God. In the times of your crisis, you want to quickly use fasting the formula to get a specific results. 
when even if God is gracious to you, God comes through for you, and but in the moment of your breakthrough, you go back to your inaccuracy as he did. Remember he did? After Second Chronicles 20, major deliverance, what does the brew do? He goes back to another alliance with the same area, the king of Israel, now Ahaziah. And he makes another alliance with him after when he came back from the first alliance with this king Ahab, who confronts him again? Jehu the prophet says, how can you align yourself with those who hate the Lord? In this you have done wickedly, the prophet said to him. So Jehoshaphat does not learn from prior mistakes. And you know that alliance that he had with King Ahab, do you recall, he said to the king, I am as you are, I will support you in this war. King Ahab says, I will disguise myself, I'll take off my kingly robes, I'll put ordinary uh, armor, or like I'll, I'll disguise myself as a foot soldier. Right? But you don't. What's that telling you? He's literally saying, if any king is dying today, it's going to be you. Sometimes you join yourself to someone that hasn't got your welfare at heart. They're just in it to use you. When the chips are down, they will put you in the front line of the battle. Let you take the dots. Right? I want to be in relationship with someone that will give his life for me. Right? I want to be in relationship with someone like that Jesus said, I will lay my life down for my, for my friend. Okay? And I said that to someone last week. I will give, if the chips are down, I will die in your place. Right? If the chips are down, I will die in your place. And I want to encourage you, have that, those kinds of relationships, covenantal joinings, right? Intimate alliances. But he doesn't learn the lesson. And you know the story. I'm going to go to the story again because you know it fairly well by now. You know, um, how that... The king, king Ahab, king of Israel, is disguised. King Jehoshaphat is wearing his kingly garb. The enemy thinks that he is king. Ahab pursue him, and they find out it's not him. He cries out. I don't know what he cried. <laughs> he must have cried out to the Lord when they saw the enemies pursuing him. And the, when they saw it was King Jehoshaphat and not King Ahab, they desisted from pursuing him. Okay? And then, and then they, they went back. And this king is saved by the Lord. He's saved by the intervention of God. Yet, he does not bring his life to complete obedience, wholly following the Lord. He's saved from that battle. And he comes back. Jehu, the prophet, rebukes him for the alliance. Yes, there's a measure of repentance. You know, Jehu the prophet said to him, but there's still a measure of goodness in you. So, you have that thing in you. There's a flick of hope. The prophet sees. You're not altogether bad, Jehoshaphat. There's something in you that loves God. I can see something in you. There's a flicker there. There's an ember there that tells me you're still soft. You're still tender towards the things of God. There's hope for you. And remember, he goes on those vast reforms with judges in every, when they're appointed in every city to administer justice and, and judgment. And then he enters into an inaccurate alliance again with the king of, with the king of Israel. And now it is for economic advantage. Economic advantage. 
I want to encourage you. The first alliance with King Ahab was for political expediency. The second alliance with now the king of Israel, King Ahaziah, was for economic, financial gain. Right? It was for financial gain. And you will read this in Second Chronicles 20, towards the latter part of the chapter. Let me talk about this quickly. He does not learn from prior disobedience. He does not learn from his previous mistakes. You know, I'm amazed. You know what they tell us about history? History teaches us that, this classic statement, that we don't learn from history. That's a classic. They, they say this often. I learned this at university in my history, my history lecture. History 1, my first, they said to me, learn this. The thing we learn about history is that man never learns from history. You can see the mess up. And all it's doing, history is repeating itself over and over and over again. And I want to encourage you, brethren, learn from your previous mistakes. Okay? Learn from your previous mistakes. Jehoshaphat did not learn from his prior inaccurate alliance with the wicked king Ahab. He now makes another inaccurate association with this king. And look at Second Chronicles 20 and verse 37. Second Chronicles 20 and verse 37. It says the following. Then Eleazar, the son of Dodabahu of Maresha, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Everyone say prophesied against him. Right? Prophesied against him. So, you see, Jehoshaphat has got numerous experience with the prophetic word. His prophetic words consistently come in against the king. Micaiah warned him. Jehu, the prophet, also admonished him about the inaccurate alliance with with Ahab. Now, he's joining himself to this, uh, uh, this king of Israel. And now, Eleazar, the prophet... Right? So in Jehoshaphat's life, what do you have? Micaiah, Jehu, Eleazar. Three prophets speaking. In other words, God's complete speaking. Three, solid, real, substantial. The complete speaking of the Lord comes to this man. And he fails to learn the lessons. Right? And it says this. The prophet said to him, because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. So the ships were broken and could not go down to, to Tarshish. His alliance with the king was that ships would leave a port city called Ezion Geber. Everyone say Ezion Geber. Yeah. Right? That ships which speak of merchants, which speak of cargo, which has a sense of economic growth, right? Ships transport goods. So ships would have been built from Ezion, Geber, and be brought down to Tarshish. This was the nature of the alliance with the king now. The first alliance was political. This alliance was for box. Was was economic. And I want to encourage you, don't make alliances inaccurately for economic gain or for financial advantage. If the alliance you make with the person relationally 
violates biblical principle. If the joining is inaccurate, you cannot hope for God to bless your economic endeavors when you've aligned yourself inaccurately already. Okay? This is especially for those of you in business. Make sure that you align yourself with people that are of God's determination. Right? You can't sacrifice biblical principle and ally yourself relationally to someone in the hope of getting ahead financially. But in the process, you are sacrificing and basically uh, displacing key biblical principles by which you should be living. Right? So what does, how does God express his displeasure at this king? The Bible says here, just put that verse up again. It says, because you have allied yourself with King Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your, your works. So the ships were broken. They were broken at his port at Ezan Gibeh. They were broken and they could not go down to, to Tarshish. God expressed his displeasure at the alliance. At the first attempt to transport the ships, God supernaturally intervenes and destroys every one of the ships. Indicating to this king his utter displeasure at what you have done. It's amazing. On this note, he dies. This king. He dies. What does he do? He leans upon the, the arm of, of flesh. He leans upon the arm of flesh. Do you know what Ezion Gibeh means? Ezion Gibeh means the following. The backbone of a man. Backbone of a man. Right? It means also the counsel of man. Right? You know your backbone, when you speak of a person's backbone, you're speaking of a person's strength, not so? That which gives the person um, stature, by which the person can stand up. You know? You often say, have a backbone and stand up. You know? Um, and this, this speaks of the reliance upon human strength to gain advantage. It also means the counsel of man. So Jehoshaphat, now listen carefully, was moving away from the words of prophets and moving into the realm of the counsel of men that contradict what God was saying. Right? Very, very, very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. I want to encourage you, don't... Don't displace God speaking for consensual counsel of many. It can be, there's a consensus in the multiplicity of counsel that you get. In other words, it's not one person you sort the counsel out after, it's many. And in your view, because it's multiple, it must be right. right? The counsel of man or the counsel of men. And that rivals what God has, what God has spoken. I want to encourage you in this season. Speak prophetically to you. I speak as a warning to some of you. Don't let the counsel, even of many, displace the principle of God's word released through the servant of God that you are exposed to. Right? You seek for a second and a third opinion on the matter when God has already spoken. What are you doing? You're opening yourself up to influence. And every time counsel comes, 
that's, a, that's opposite to what God is saying. It erodes the force of God speaking to you and such that you will come to the end of your life where you will say, I will not have to obey God anymore. Right? Is Zion Gibeh, the backbone of a man or the, or the counsel of man. Fasting is no quick fix. It must be done. Listen carefully. You must now fast under the auspices or the umbrella, if you would, of the speaking of biblical principles vested in and voiced through your spiritual father in the Lord, the prophet or the servant of God in your life. If you want to fast, but don't obey those principles, I declare now to you, your fasting is null and void. It will have no effect. Don't be, yes, you can't be like Jehoshaphat. And his fasting brought momentarily, momentary relief and deliverance. Yet the moment it's secured, he slips back into a culture of life where he's flippant and disregarding of clear biblical principles regarding alliances that God spoke to all kings about that they should not enter. He was fully aware of the principle, fasted, breakthrough, we find, we relieved, not destroyed, let someone slip back into a culture now of disobedience. That is not going to work in the present season. And you know, I think in doing Jehoshaphat as a case study, that the issues where he failed, God is bringing to bear for us to note, like inaccurate joinings. You know, when you examine all the fasts, what is Esther's fast under the umbrella of? Mordecai's directives. Right? Saul of Tarsus, even at his conversion, he's fasting under the auspices, under the umbrella of a prophet, Ananias, if you would, a voice of God coming to him to speak the, the word of the Lord. Peter's fast in the book of Acts. Cornelius' fast and his household. Cornelius is fasting and the environment is we have to heed the word that the prophet Peter will come and give to them. Hannah, who broke the spirit of barrenness from her womb, is fasting in the temple. Who's there? Eli, the priest, the prophet. There's always fasting within the, under the banner of the person fasting, willing to submit to directives that God gives his sent ones to them. Right? It's always the case. You'll see this pattern over and over and over in Scripture. You know what we got in the church today? We got rebellious people trying to fast for a quick fix. Not going to work in this season. We need holy, obedient persons now fasting and accessing the fullness of the blessing of the Lord. Amen? You talk, you know, I, I speak to the people all over from the church global, you know, and I find this trend. People want a quick fix. They want a formula for a quick deliverance, but not willing to submit the life to the totality of God's speakings in key areas of their lives. Hmm? Very, very important that we do this. By the way, do you know what the word Jehoshaphat means? Some of you, I think I mentioned it here before. It means the Lord judges. Brethren, you know, couldn't get away from this thought in thinking about the servant, the service. God is judging the house. Not only this house, he's judging his church globally. 
whenever you think about Jehoshaphat, think about the meaning of his name. The Lord judges. His name also means he pleads for him or he whom Jehovah judges. He whom Jehovah judges or Jehovah is judge. What do judges do? Most people have a negative view of judgment. Judgment is not punitive. It's not punishment. All that judgment in the house of God seeks to do is to separate the vile from the holy. The word judgment literally means to separate. Diakrino in the Greek. To separate. Even a judge in the judiciary, now in in courts, what do they preside over? They separate between matters and they make decrees. Not so? So God is bringing judgment to the house. Do you know that 1 Peter 4.17 says, put it up, please look, it is time for judgment to begin where? To begin where? In the house of God. It is time for judgment to begin in the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel? Where is judgment starting? In the house. Tell your neighbor judgment starting in the house. I'm very serious today. I'm always serious, but now more than ever in the season of my life. There are churches closing down um, with, with such acceleration globally. Talking about apostolic houses. Why? Judgment has come to the house. God is intolerant of consistent disobedience. Flagrant disregard for known principles. I don't know about you, but I'm scared. I walk in utter fear of the Lord. I tremble at times. And I pray for you. I say, God, please preserve them. Preserve, have mercy. Don't deal in your judgment. Deal in your Deal in your mercy. I say this seriously to us this morning. Judgment, I'm making a declaration over your lives personally. Judgment has come to your door. It's not to punish you. It's to refine you. It's to make you better. God loves you. And he whom the Lord loves, he will chastise. Please don't say to me what what Ahab said to Micaiah. He always prophesies negatively concerning us. I can pick that up in my spirit. Please don't say that. I will encourage you again. Believe God and you will be established. Believe his prophet and you will. You will. You will prosper. It's a guarantee that if you bring your life in heed and bow to the principles of God's word, there's no other outcome fit for you than total deliverance, total prosperity. 2 Corinthians 10, 6 says this. If we... And we are ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is complete. Right? We are ready, listen carefully, to punish all disobedience when? When your obedience is complete. The word complete here is to bring it to maturity. Listen to me very carefully. What is God after in this season? God is after in this season to bring your obedience to completeness. If there's a thought that I can't get out of my mind, it's this. 
Whenever I kneel this morning, a hopos falls on my face in my lounge praying unto the Lord for various things. And one of the aspects I prayed over was this, that God, in my own personal life, bring my life to utter, complete obedience. I don't want a matter outstanding where I'm not obedient to your principles. Because some of us, if we have a tick box, relations, finance, um, maybe faithfulness, loyalty, and we tick, are we faithful? Are we? And maybe you'll be found wanting in some areas. I'm saying to all of us, in this season, it's time to bring your obedience to completeness. You know why this verse says, Paul is saying here, if we don't complete our obedience, we have no right to bring judgment upon any other disobedience. You see, when God judges, He needs a standard. God always judges by a standard. And the standard is not a rule book. God's standard is not a rule book where, yes, there is the Bible, there is laws, there are statutes, there are principles. But for God to judge people, He needs to show people that other people can do it. And by their standard, He will judge them. The Word must become flesh and dwell among us. What is this verse saying? God is saying, Paul is saying, you know the context here? Let me read the context. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, bringing into captivity every thought, every imagination to the obedience of Christ. Everyone say obedience of Christ. That thought that some of you are hosting, you are hosting a thought. You are accommodating a thought in your mind that is opposite to your getting to a place of obedience to Christ. Paul says, as an apostle, the weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but I'm able to bring every thought that is contrary to Christ to obey Christ. Then he says this verse, and when your obedience is complete, we will be able to bring judgment upon all other disobedience. Hmm? I urge you, brethren, tell someone next to you, it's time to complete your obedience. Time to complete. I beg you, judgment is coming to the house. Say it again as a witness. So it can't be said, I did not warn, I did not say. I declare to you, judgment is coming. The, the, the scrutiny of the Lord is coming to assess you. He's coming to check you out. And I'm urging you by the Lord, bring your life to total obedience. Say, God, I want to submit my life. For by this, judgment will come. I'm saying all of these things. Because Jehoshaphat's name means he who Jehovah judges. Huh? We are in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Right now, let me just say this. There is a valley called Jehoshaphat, the valley of Jehoshaphat. It is said that the end time battles in the eschatological timing of the Lord will be fought in this valley, literal valley in, the, in Palestine. Right? Where all of God's judgments of nations will be wrapped up. The valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of judgment. And it's not judgment, like I said, in a, in a negative sense, but it's, it's judgment for our, for our good. Judgment for our good. So I want to encourage you, now is not the time for inconsistency. Now is not the time for um, erratic obedience. You're obedient this month, you're not obedient next month. 
now you're forgiving someone, next, month, next minute you're holding a grudge. You're watching your conversation in, in, in one, uh, over one lunch uh, session with someone and you're deriding a person, next minute you're watching yourself. No, I want it to be sameness. Don't be a hypocrite. Be the same. Be consistent. Be what you are publicly. Be that privately. Hey? Love your wife. If there's a husband sitting next to you, tell him, love your wife. Not somebody else's husband, your husband. Surprise how many marriages are in trouble in the present season. It's alarming to me. This is my first church. This, my first church. Hmm? My relationship with Renee, I'm speaking symbolically. I can't be one thing publicly and be another person privately. Luke must see the same dad publicly, must see the same man in his private world in his house, standing by the same principles. Can't be a Jekyll and a Hyde. Right? You've got to be sane, you've got to be consistent. Amen? Amen? You agree? You better. <laughs> He's not under duress. Okay. Well, let me just finish off. Excuse me, let me just finish off. Second Chronicles 17 and verse 3 says this. Second Chronicles 17 and verse 3. I want to encourage you. Fast with under the broad ambit of submission to the, the, the entirety of all of God's principles. Amen? Now you will see, brethren, next time you fast, it will be vastly different. Amen? Vastly different. Second Chronicles 17 verse 3 says, The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father, David's earlier days, and did not seek the, the balls. Second Chronicles 20 verse 32. He walked in the way of his father Asa, did not depart from doing it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Yeah, two verses. The one says about Jehoshaphat, he walked in the ways of his father, David in his early years. And the other says that he walked at the latter end of his life. He starts walking in the ways of his father, biological father, Asa. Right? Who did also what was right in the sight of the Lord. Now, Asa, by and large, also was a good king, except for a few things. For me, the fathering principle changes in Jehoshaphat's life towards the end of his reign. When he starts up his reign, he walks in the steps of his father, David. Near the end, the stuff that led to his decline, he starts mimicking the ways of his father, Asa, who for the most part was also a godly king, except for a few, a few things, which I'm going to talk about now. A few things in his life, which are multiplied ten times over in the life of Jehoshaphat that leads to his decline. You see, the Bible says he's followed, he walked in the steps of his father, David's earlier days. Everyone say earlier days. In other words, the good part, the godly part of David's reign. The Amplified Bible says he followed the first ways of his father David. 
And the word first is always an apostolic principle, right? Follows the first ways of his father, David. But towards the latter end of his life, starts to take his cue and his template from Asa. Now, just quickly, I'm going to give you a quick scenario of, of, of Asa's life. Asa, although for the most part was a good king, he declines, listen carefully, when he starts to rely upon the arm of flesh. He sought to gain advantage economically and politically through his own wielding and dealing instead of expressing total reliance upon the Lord. In, in, in 2 Chronicles 14, if you back up a few chapters to see the reign of this guy, Jehoshaphat's dad, Asa, 14.4 says this, He commanded all Judah to seek the Lord of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. So, he's good because he commands all of Judah to seek the, to seek the Lord. Okay? The Ethiopians come up against him. Listen to the stats. The Ethiopians come up against him from Africa. <laughs> One million of them. Warriors. Right? It's like ants all over the place. He doesn't know what to do. This is where Jehoshaphat had learned this. When you don't know what to do, turn to the Lord. Because his father experienced it exactly the same. One million come up. And all this guy has, he has about, I think, 380,000 men from Judah. I think it's 200,000 from Benjamin. Could be wrong. But a total of 580,000 men. Now, what's 580,000 men versus one million? The Bible says the Ethiopians came up with one million plus chariots. And he doesn't know what to do. He cries unto the Lord, Lord, help us. And the Bible says the Lord routed the Ethiopians, came in on, on his behalf. So he realizes if I turn in my crisis to the Lord my God, my God's going to come through for me and he is going to. He is going to help me. Now listen to me, brethren. Based on that, 2 Chronicles 15 opens like this. Let's read it. 2 Chronicles 15, verse 1 to verse 7. A prophet. Tell your neighbor, a prophet. Now just remind them. Don't imprison the prophet. <laughs> what did Jehoshaphat say? Believe God, you'll be established. Believe his prophet, you will. You will prosper. Now, a prophet... After this great victory, and God dealt with the Ethiopians, powerful victory, a prophet comes to Asa, Jehoshaphat's dad, and says this to him, listen to me, Asa. Is it? Verse 1, listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. Tell your neighbor, the Lord is with you when you are with him. I love this verse, eh? The, I like this. The Lord is with you when you are with, with Him. And He says further, if you seek Him, He will let you find Him. But if you forsake Him, He will forsake you. You must know because He cried to the Lord, God broke through. And the prophet gives a warning to Him. He says, hey, King, please note what happened here. You sought the Lord, He came through for you. Stay on this path. Stay here. Stay here. Continue to seek. If you're with Him, He will be with you. If you keep seeking Him. You know, I can't tell you. I can cry when I think about it. How I crave God early in the mornings. At times I'm tired. I break through this flesh. 
and I'm in the habit of kneeling. And I kneel before the Father. Say, God, if you don't come through, what will we do? If you, the way the world is going, if you don't protect us, we are helpless. We need you now more than ever before. And I want to encourage every one of us, don't, based on prior success, be lulled into passivity in your seeking earnestly after the Lord. And construe that all will be well simply because of your own ingenuity. You need God. We need God more than we realize. Right? I always want to bow the knee. Tell you never bend the knee. Next time you pray, husbands pray. Next time you pray, bow, bow the knee before your father. You know what this helps? Samson, I keep telling you, Samson said, God doesn't require this bending before him. It's not, a, it's not a legal requirement before God. But he said this, when I do it, it helps me. Helps me bow my heart. Helps me elevate him. It communicates to him, oh, how I need you. Right? I need you, God. The prophet comes to Asa and says, he's with you if you are with him. If, if you seek him, you will. God will make himself to be found by you. And then he says a few things, just quickly. For, and watch what the next verse is. So he gives him a little bit of history of Israel, the prophet does. He says, Asa, for many days Israel was without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. Very important verse this. You see, if you take, if there's no teaching priest, there's no God. If there's no teaching priest teaching the law, the principles of God, God vacates the building. Right? Please check this out. He says to him, in the, for many days in Israel, in times before you, Asa, he's saying, Israel was without the true God. Why? There was no teaching priest. Therefore, there was no law. Tell your neighbor, thank God we have a teaching priest. You see, when the teaching priest, the scribe comes in your midst and declares to you the ways of God, if you obey it, you will have the true God in your midst. Right? True God in your midst. Fasting sessions 1 to 10 are available at the back there. There are 20 copies. First come, first serve. Right? I'm amazed when I review the lessons. What profound things God has been speaking to us from January 2015 to now May 2015. There are clear directives given to you for you to flourish and prosper in life. Yet I stand back in utter, I fear sometimes. How can you hear that? Disregard it. Take God's word, and what the Bible says, you throw my words behind you. Still carry on on the path of disobedience and expect the blessing of the Lord. You don't love God. Yes, listen carefully. I speak as a prophet of God to you. You do not love God if you don't obey Him. It's clear. You cannot say, I love you, and you're disobeying his commandments. If you say to me, Randolph, I love God, you can't tell me. On the basis of God's word, I can declare to anyone, you don't love God if by your life you're disobedient to his principles. What did Jesus say? He who loves me must obey my, must obey my word. So my passion is, when I see disobedience, my passion is, God, people don't love you. 
It's not about the, it's not about the disobedience. I'm worried about your devotional posture toward the Lord. Do you love Him enough to obey His word like Esther did? If I perish, I perish. But I would rather perish obeying my God than to live disobediently and be preserved. Amen? I would rather die but die obeying God than to live preserving myself and yet be totally alienated from the life of God. Then it says, okay, just quickly. Time is running ahead of us. Let's look at verse 7 just quickly because of time. So, the prophet encourages Asa, but you be strong. Do not lose courage, Asa, for there is a great reward for your work. You know, after this, if you read the rest of the chapter, now your homework is to read Second Chronicles from chapter 14 onwards. You see, you can't understand Jehoshaphat without understanding the context from which he hails. And the prophet talks to Asa and says, if you maintain this position, Karen, be courageous. Can't tell you how this word has filled me this week. Courage. Tell you never be courageous. We have courage to do certain things. I was very discouraged over the past two weeks because of various things happening. And um, I said, God, is it worth carrying on? God gave me this verse. Be of good courage. Because there's going to come a reward for the work of your hands. Tell you never there's going to come a reward. I want to encourage you. Um, maintain this position. And you might think nothing's happening, but God's going to reward faithfulness. God's going to reward diligence. Amen? God will reward the work of, of your hands. So he goes on, if you read the rest of the chapter, pulls down every idol like, like uh, uh, Gordon spoke about. Jehoshaphat got this pulling down of idols thing from his father Asa. He goes on a rampage. Every abominable idol in the land, the Bible says, Asa goes and he tears it out. You know what he even does? His own mother built a, a, a replica of, or a symbol of Ashariah, or Shiria, right? And um, it was a representation of female fertility or the genital parts. The Bible says he tore it down and he deposed it as queen. He wasn't even content, not just because you, my mother, will I allow that. Right? I will tear down your idol and I will depose you as queen mother. Right? You are deposed from you. I want to encourage you. You see, some of us, we soft trot around family because we are too close. Whereas in this season, God says, will you put my principle first before your family? Right? We are scared to... to, 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 to um, Correct each other because we are too close. This guy said, no way. You are my biological mother, but I as king, I depose you as queen mother. I will tear every idol of yours down in the sanctuary. Right? Tell your neighbor it's a season of judgment. But it's not in a bear. I'm not talking negative. It's just, you know, hear my heart, brethren. I want your obedience to be complete. Right? Everyone say complete obedience. It's like getting all of our life Renee has liberty to correct me. I have liberty to correct her on any issue. Right? And I listen to the voice of God in my wife. Right? Husbands, take heed to the voice of God in your wives. Right? He does speak to them. Let me Trust me, he does. Right? But also wives, listen to the voice of God in your husbands. Amen? Listen. 
Remember, what's his name? Michelle? Tried to warn, what's that guy, Nabal? Was it Abigail, sorry? Abigail warned Nabal not to treat David harshly. Huh? The voice of God was in the voice of a wife talking to a husband, and he could not recognize it. And that led to his demise. Hey? I want to encourage you, don't sacrifice principle. Renee is my wife, but if she violates principle, I have to insist on the principle of the word of God, even though she is my wife. Our, my love for her and closeness with her on this level will not cause me to be partial in my judgment on spiritual matters. Amen? But Asa goes and he says, tear down that idol. Right? And he deposes his mother. You know what happens in the next chapter? Basha. Everyone say Basha. Basha, the king of Israel, a new king, comes up against him, war and all. Right? Blocks off all exits and access into the city. What he does is, he, he consults the king of, I think it's Aram, and he forms this alliance with Aram. And he gives him gifts. And he says, you break your treaty with the king of Israel so you can support me in this. What is that? Relying on the arm of flesh. Relying on the arm of flesh. And you know what happens here? Um, a prophet rebukes him. Tell your neighbor, don't imprison the prophet. <laughs> quickly, I need to read this. Second Chronicles 16, quickly, from verses 7. Second Chronicles 16, from verses 7. Hey, you know what? He formed this alliance with King Aram to fortify himself against King Basha from, from Israel. King Basha is so terrified by this alliance, he withdraws. There's no war. He simply backs off. And backing off, King um, Asa fortifies all the cities of Judah. And he thinks, hunky-dory, I've made a good decision. I'm fine. Until a prophet comes up to speak to him. Now compare what has just happened before. God brought you great deliverance against one million Ethiopians with 3,000 chariots all by God's hand. A lesser enemy comes, you want to do your own thing, make your own inaccurate joinings and alliances, and so get, get victory. Then a prophet comes and says this to him. Watch. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, the king of Judah, and said, because you have relied on the king of Aram, and not relied on the Lord your God. Therefore, the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Right? In other words, you were saying, that alliance with king Aram was actually God's intention for you to subdue him. But now you've allied yourself to him. He's escaped out of your hand. Hmm? Then he says this, Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you, 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 because you, re, you relied on the Lord in that instance, He gave you or He delivered you from them into your hand. And He says this, For the eyes, this statement we love, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro over the face of the whole earth, that He might strongly support those whose hearts are completely His. I love this statement. Repeat it after me. Whose hearts are completely His. But says, yet you have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, now you will have surely have wars. And then Asa was angry with the seer and put him where? Imprisons the prophets. That voice that speaks to you 
that sometimes you react to negatively in your soulish or your flesh. You don't like what he's saying. You take that voice and you lock it up. There's no bearing upon your, upon your, upon your destiny. Just fast track. It says, um, Then Asa was angry with the seer, put him in prison. He was enraged at him for this. Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. He just starts getting wicked. Because of a prophetic reprimand. Eh? A prophetic reprimand. And then it says this in verse 11. Now the acts of Asa, from the first to the last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and of Israel. And then it says, In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased. Where? What, the, what do feet speak of? Mobility. Where does God hit him? In his forward progression. In his ability to make headway. In his ability to have progress, to have prosperity and, and development in the will of God for his life, God hits him in his feet. The sad thing is this. It says his disease was very severe. Even, yet even in his disease, what did he did not do? He did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. What did the prophet tell him after the victory? God is with those that are with him. Asa, please remember this. And if you consistently seek the Lord, he will be found of you. Right? Now through anger vented at a prophet, he imprisons the prophetic voice. And even experiencing the judgment of God in a severe disease in his feet, he's still at an impasse. Nothing's moving forward financially. Nothing's moving forward relationally. Nothing's moving forward politically in his life. Nothing at all is making headway. Yet in that condition, he still does not turn his attention to cry unto the Lord and to seek him. But he relies on the known physicians of his. He dies soon after this. Now you understand when it says, Jehoshaphat now first walks in the steps of his father, David. Towards the latter end of his life, he walks in the steps of his father, Asa. Mimicking and copying some of the negative things that his father Asa had demonstrated in his own reign and in his own life. I want to encourage you, brethren. When you fast, rely completely on the Lord. Don't do your own things to get your own result. God doesn't need your help. He's very capable of taking care of his own affairs. Don't rely on the arm of flesh. I want to encourage you, at every turn, seek the Lord your God. You know, if I were him, sitting on my bed, I see my feet are rotting away. What would any sane man do? I would fast until God talks to me. God! I need you now more than ever before. And still, yet still, he turns his attention away from the Lord God and starts to rely on arm of flesh, known physicians of his day, to try and remedy his, his problem. Some of you are in a fix and you can't get out of it, yet you are not turning to the Lord your God. And you turn to the Lord your God when you obey his principles, when you seek his face with all of your heart. Amen. God will come through powerfully and miraculously for you. Amen. I'm going to end there. Although, just take this reference down. Jeremiah 17 and verse 5 says, Thus says the Lord God, Curse is the man who trusts. Let me just read this as we close. Jeremiah 17 verse 5 to 10. 
Follow me on the board. Can we read it together? Come, let's read a bold statement. I want you to read this, but read it not just in chorus. Read it with, from your spirit and let these words sink deep into your spirit. May what we read now in Jeremiah 17 forever stay with you. Tell your neighbor, do not rely on the arm of flesh. Tell your neighbor, seek the Lord your God. Tell someone, bring completeness to your obedience. I'm so scared to disobey God now. The fear of God has gripped me. I want to live my life holy and pure unto the Lord. Holy and pure unto the Lord. After all of these warnings, how dare we leave this building and still say, you know what you do when you, do, when you disobey God? You say, I take your words and I imprison your prophet. I will not allow that voice to configure the culture of my life. Right? Now when I'm obedient, listen carefully, you'll see how this principle works. Next week I'm going to finish off the series by teaching you Isaiah 58, the whole chapter. In one hour you'll do it. It's the fasting chapter of the Old Testament. You will see how fasting gains new impetus, new power, new heights when it flows out from a fasted life. You must fast from a life that is already fasted, cut off from anything carnal, negative, antagonistic to the purposes of God. Stand with me as we read this. Okay. Let me stand here so I can read together with you. Amen. How many of you love the word of the Lord? Amen. Love the Bible, love God speaking. Let's read this together. Thus says the Lord. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert, and he will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without an inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and he will not fear when heat comes. Just stop there. Tell your neighbor, do not fear when the heat comes. Let's continue. But its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to heal fruit. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Tell you never trust the Lord. Anyone obey, even financially? Some of you on tithing and giving, it's, it's difficult for me to dismiss that because I have a responsibility to you as your father to, to bring correction to this. But I always say to you, if you can obey, obey to your death. You say, God, I trust you. Some of you are having difficulty in forgiving a brother that has offended you. I'm just saying, let go in and release everybody. Some of you are battling with bitterness. Don't harbor it in your heart. Release and let go. And you know what? I'm going to call upon spouses now because if one spouse is obeying and the other spouse is disobeying, guess what? You are one. Guess what? You are one. Right? In other words, you reap 
either negativity or positivity as a response from the Lord upon your family. It's now just not uh, well for uh, Sean to complete his obedience, and Fiona is not, or Fiona and Sean is not. Now both of us together, Renee and I too, together, Quentin and Audrey too, together, okay? Linda and Nico too, together. Both couples together as one must have a confluence of positioning. Say, say honey, bunny, whatever you call each other, we're coming together. Let's assert Jeremiah 17 over our house. Right? You know what? The man who does not trust that the Bible says, he won't even see the prosperity when it's coming. But the, the one who trusts in the Lord, he'll be like a tree whose roots go down by the water. Even in a year of drought, he will not be anxious. He doesn't even fear when heat comes because he trusts in the Lord. That's a very powerful position to be, not so? Tell you, tell you number Jeremiah 17. Read it tonight. <laughs> Hallelujah. Just soak in this chapter. A lovely chapter to just, just, just muse in and meditate upon. It's very akin to someone, not so? Very close to someone. Right? Very, very close to someone. Lift up your hands to the Lord. The injunction of the Lord to us this morning is, my son, my daughter, this all just close our eyes. The injunction of the Lord this morning is, my son, my daughter, judgment is coming to my house. I love you. That's why I speak to you like this. If you turn your attention to me, seek me with all of your heart. Follow all of my ways. Direct your heart to seek me. I will be found of you. I feel the Lord wants to break through for you powerfully, but he's demanding. I need you to turn to me with all of your heart. Don't cast my words behind you. Don't imprison my prophet. Believe me and you will be established. Believe the prophet and you will prosper. It's a guaranteed promise from the Lord God. So Father, we pray, Lord, that your, your bounty will break forth upon us. Help us never to rely on the arm of flesh. Help us always to seek your way of doing a thing, not my own way, not my own thoughts. Right now, Father, we give up on trying to wheel and deal. We give up on trying to manipulate circumstances to get ahead, to get results that we desire. We are digging a bigger and bigger hole every time we do, we do that in the flesh. But now, Father, we turn our eyes upon you. I thank you for this verse we read, dear Father, now that the eyes of the Lord are really running to and fro over the face of the whole earth. You want to show yourself strong to those whose hearts are wholly following you. We want to be those that wholly follow you. We want to be like Caleb of whom you said, he wholly followed the Lord, his God. Here's my heart, take it, Lord. Be magnified in the midst of us. We bow our hearts to obedience to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.